Hi, everyone, and happy spring. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts. I just had the opportunity to speak with a truly remarkable person in the music industry, Brian Camilio. Where to start with Brian if you are not familiar with him? Well, in 2001, Brian founded ArtistShare, which is now recognized as the Internet's first fan-funding platform. ArtistShare enables fans to not only fund their favorite artists' projects, but to truly become participants in the creative process. Brian was a visionary in that he saw the Internet's potential as a way to connect fans and artists directly like this. Since 2003... Artist Share projects have received countless awards and accolades, including 30 Grammy nominations and 10 Grammy Award wins. Last month, in March of 2019, Brian was contacted by the Webb Foundation, which was founded by Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who is credited with helping to invent the Internet. The Webb Foundation was celebrating the Webb's 30th birthday, and they compiled a select timeline of events which included the launch of ArtistShare, which has had a significant contribution to the web, in their own words. So yeah, Brian is a pretty impressive guy. Our conversation gets very interesting, and in particular, I enjoyed hearing Brian talk about fan relationship marketing. This is particularly relevant for artists and arts organizations right now, as everyone is trying to make sense of how to use their data to better connect with their fans and patrons. There's also a great marketing story about what Brian learned from Trey Anastasio, the guitarist from the widely popular group Fish. Thanks again to Brian for taking the time to speak with me. Please enjoy our conversation, and thanks everyone for listening to Speaking of the Arts. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This is this is exciting. Oh, of course. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, so I think we should start with a couple of general questions to make sure everybody listening knows exactly what you do and what artist share is and how it works. So okay. why don't you kind of take the reins? How, what is artist share and how does it work? And, and maybe more importantly, before all that, where did, where did the idea come from? Well, uh, my background is I'm a musician. I have a degree in classical composition and I worked as a professional musician for many years and I had no intention of <laughs> starting uh, this business until one day I, I kind of, it was a confluence of events. I got very interested in computer programming in the early nineties and I would, I would buy software and I'd pull it apart and I'd check it out and I, I learned how to write basic code on my own because it felt a lot like writing music. Uh, computer code and, and software is a very similar process where you take a set of tools, a language, you put it together in order to have it do something that pleases you. That's basically the simplest uh, way to explain how I view uh, composing as well as, as computer code. And I got really into that. And it was around the time when Napster was happening and and people were all freaked out about file sharing. And, and it, was a, uh, it, was a, it was a strange time. But more so from my point of view, all my friends who were jazz musicians were were worried. You know, they were worried about how they were going to continue doing what they were doing because the labels were dropping people like crazy and uh, people were still stuck in bad record deals. Either their records were tied up or they, they had to pay a lot of money and they would never see any money back. And, and I got genuinely angry and I got genuinely concerned because my friends, uh, my friends at the time, like Maria Schneider, Jim Hall, Chris Potter, uh, David Binney. Those were all my 
my close friends and and uh, I felt that you know we could do some sort of solution. I got angry one day <laughs> and said, "Man, we we should just cut out the middleman completely and use the internet, which was at that time starting to become something where people might do some shopping or do some communication." One of them just have to go directly with fans and just cut everybody else out of it. And that was kind of the seed of the idea. And then I started to think, well, with all the file sharing, you know, how are we going to make money? And I thought, well, simple. If you if people pay for things prior to it being created, then the artist gets paid, the artist created, and everybody's happy. And then bringing it forward on that is, well, how do we create value in that? when you know, the value of digital files was basically zero because people could just trade them. And that's when I started to really kind of dive into the concept of the creative process as a product and the creative process as a very, very powerful marketing tool. And that's kind of what I built Artishare on. I started it uh, with a close consultation I was uh, building it basically for Maria Schneider and for my friend Dave Benny and for Chris Potter and for Jim. And I would talk to them and I would say, hey, would you be interested in, you know, cutting out the middleman in exchange for allowing people to kind of see your creative process? Because I think people would be really into that. And the reason why I thought people would be into it is because I'd be really into it. (laughs) And I thought it was a great thing to be able to, uh, to watch art be made to kind of witness that creative process in whatever way we could. There's nothing more exciting to me in this world than that moment when creativity strikes and music happens. Uh, it's There's something extremely powerful about that, and I felt that other people would feel that way too. And that's kind of how I stumbled onto it. So fast forward a few years, I I, I knew how to write software, so I I wrote all the software, and I created the website, and I created the business model, and it took me about three years. I started early 2000. Uh, we were we launched our first project in 2003. I did a whole lot of iterations of it. Um, I registered all the intellectual property, did everything, you know, that I was supposed to do because I knew I was going to be spending a lot of time on this, and and we launched in 2003. So. The model basically started out as a way for artists to go directly to their fans, have the fans pay for their creative work, and then deliver that creative work at a later date. Um, as things progressed, we just kind of added things. You know, the, the artists were like, well, we need distribution, so I set up distribution channels, or we need to do uh, we need publicity, so we set up publicity channels. So it's kind of evolved from there. Uh, we have label services. We have what they call now crowdfunding. Uh, we have distribution. And uh, basically, that's it. Does that, does that kind of give you a, a general idea? Oh, definitely. Well, I think it's important to note that this, came, this, was, this launched before crowdfunding as we know it was really a thing, right? So, yeah. I, yeah so I'm wondering, as that space gets a little bit more crowded, what are some of the challenges Artishare is facing from these other crowdfunding platforms that when you started didn't even exist? 
Yeah, you know what's what's funny about that is that it took it took about six years for us to have any competitors. Uh, it was, for some reason we were just way ahead of the curve. Um, and people, when we first launched, had no idea what I was talking about. They were like, that's crazy, that's never going to work. Um, what the sites that came after us did is they took the transactional nature of AutoShare, which is the, let's raise some money, and they just, they took that out, and they didn't really focus on the relationship building aspect of it. It was more like, let's raise money for a project, we're done, wash our hands, let's have a thermometer that has a goal. And, you know, I, I've never viewed that as competition because what I think what they're doing, and I, you know, I commend them for it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that somebody took it, you know, took the ball and ran with it in that direction. I'm not particularly interested in that. I'm more interested in, in fan relationships and creating long-term, a long-term solution. Uh, for artists, for creative artists who are career artists. There was a time when I, when the, when the first site that really came out was Kickstarter, and somebody sent me an email and said, hey, Brian, these guys are doing something similar to you, and I contact, I tried to contact them, and I was like, guys, let's work together, you know, because uh, they wanted to do, like, the just the simple transactional aspect of it with just the money, focusing on the money, and I had no interest in that. But I did have a lot of software written, I had a lot of expertise in running these projects. I figured we could work together. That didn't work out. Um, so I just kind of, I never really uh, considered that to be competition. I'm I'm flattered, you know, that the people consider me to be a, the inventor of that type of model, which in, in a way we did, you know, we started that whole thing. But But I definitely don't want to be attached my name to be attached to something where that the focus is just on money. Cause I think that's a very bad precedent to set for creative artists. I think that once, uh, the thing that I, <laughs> that I voiced, uh, publicly, uh, to these folks at Kickstarter and the other, the other places is that it's really not a great idea to equate an artist's success with how much money they can raise on a site because it's going to hurt in either direction. If an artist, if you go to one uh, to a Kickstarter page and if for an artist and they have a campaign and they've only got $20 in there, no matter how much you love that artist, something is going to say, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe they're not that good, which is just completely ridiculous to me. Uh, or the other way around, you know, they make a million dollars and say, well, they're they made a million dollars. That's way more money than I have. And then you get resentful. You know, this is no upside to that, I can see. In, in the world of a serious creative artist, there's no upside to publicly stating revenue goals of these things. And that's why I've been opposed to it all these years. Um, we did start a second site called Launchpad, which is kind of similar to the transactional aspect of it because I was getting so many people who were coming to artists here saying, hey, I want to just raise some money. And I, so I just created a do-it-yourself type of platform to do that because obviously as a businessman, I'm not going to turn away business. But uh, I, I don't, um, I still don't view them as competition. Um, it's unfortunate, uh, in my, in, in my view, it's unfortunate what has happened in this space 
Um, I don't think it's been good for anybody. I think it's, it's let me take that back. It's been great for some people. They they raised the money they wanted. They went and did their thing. But I don't think that it's a good long-term strategy for anybody focusing on money with uh, sending the message that, you know, I need money for this, <laughs> for the fans. I just think it's a great idea. Well, and I want to go back just a second. You mentioned the first Artist Share project launched in 2003. What was it? Maria Schneider, Concert in the Garden. That was the first one. First one, yeah. Wow. And that proved to be a pretty successful project on all sides, I would imagine. It was, you know what? It was, it was, there was some, there was a lot of magic happening around that time. I was with, we launched the project on October 15th. I remember because it was my birthday. That's the day I launched out this year. Um, October 15th. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and I was, let me see, I was with Maria in Spain. Uh, I was with her band. Uh, there was a tour with Toots Thielman and Yvonne Lynn. And I can't remember if I was playing on that. I, I remember I played, uh, uh, like for the concert of garden music, I remember I played, oh, that must have been later. Yeah. So I was just with them. Um, and we were over in Spain and the first orders came in. And I couldn't, you know, we, we knew it was going to work, but when it actually started working, it was the most exciting thing. I, you can't imagine. We were just like jumping up and down. So I immediately said to Maria, go buy some postcards and handwrite these people postcards. <laughs> and she did. She went, she wrote, handwrote these people postcards from Spain saying, thank you so much, you know, for contributing. And that's kind of how it started. That project, uh, ended up winning a Grammy and, Everybody who was involved, and even to this day, people who are, who are involved in these projects feel like a bit of ownership uh, in a way, and or affinity to it, I should say. You know, which was the whole. That was the point. We wanted people to feel like they were part of it. You know, they were part of this process. I learned that from West African dance. I went to a West African dance show one time and. In the, in the culture there, they have these drummers and they have these dancers and the drummers come out and the dancers do their thing and they do these solos and the drummers do the solos with the dancers. And, and when something exciting happens, it's not uncommon for people from the audience to jump up and run up to the stage and start throwing money at the dancers. And, or jewelry, women will take off their earrings and throw them, you know, at the, at the dancers. And it's a, an extremely pure gesture of appreciation for somebody who is doing something that is clearly moving that moving you uh, emotionally, um, or, or, or generating excitement, or uh, it's it, that the thing that happens when you see a great performance, and the immediacy of being able to reciprocate in the only way you can at that particular moment. But, you know, if, if if I could dance like that, I would do that, but I can't. So I'm just going to you some money, you know. And it right. does, I, I notice it does a few things. It makes me feel like I'm generate, helping to generate this or perpetuate this beautiful thing that I'm seeing. And it also, everybody else, it shows everybody else around me that this is what I stand for. You know, this is, I like this. And being able to to express that to my community, my immediate community, 
is another kind of basic human need. And that's what I really wanted to encapsulate in Artishir, was that feeling of reciprocation um, and affinity on an equal level between the, the fan and the artist. Not, oh, the poor artist needs some money, here's some money. You know, not, not that. You know, just this, this idea of, I can't write music like that, but I sure as hell appreciate it. So, you know, here's a hundred bucks. You know, that's my part in it. And I think that that's the one thing we've really succeeded. Um, if we, we've exceeded our expectations and we've, and we've created great success with that type of model, uh, which is much different than I need, I need, you know, $100,000 to, you know, to make a record. You know what I mean? Well, I think, con- I, oh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think Concert in the Garden is a good segue into my next question because we should mention that con- that album was the first album ever to win a Grammy with internet-only sales. Is that correct? That is correct. So, um, so in general, and now that you've got the benefit of almost 20 years of experience with this and working with artists, what are some of the more general things an artist needs to be cognizant of to be successful with the platform? What have you seen tends to work for the artist to accomplish their goals with it? Uh, I think that if I needed to kind of encapsulate that into one small thing, like if, if I could choose one thing and say, okay, you need to do this one thing in order to increase your chances of succeeding, and that's to pay attention to the people who are already paying attention to you. I think that people generally, artists generally, are always looking for to expand the audience, want to get out to more people, want to get out to more people. The way to get out to more people is to pay attention to the people who are in front of you. That's the way to do it. So treat anybody who has shown interest in your work on this platform, treat them like royalty. Do things, do unexpected things for them. Surprise them with, with wonderful things. You know, whether it be just sending them an email um, or maybe uh, posting something specifically for them, giving them, you know, giving them something, some sort of special recognition. Um, if you want to build an audience, it's not about looking outward. It's about looking inward. It's looking at the people who already love what you do and really taking care of them. And if you do that, everything else takes care of itself. Uh, because it spreads like crazy. And I learned that specifically from uh, my one of my closest friends uh, is a tourist named Trey Anastasio. Trey, Trey and I, I've known Trey for many years. Uh, before, he was, he's the guitar player for a band called Fish. And right. when Fish was, was starting out, um, I remember how they did things, and I took note of it. Um, they really paid attention to the people that came to their gigs. They really uh, made them feel like, made them feel special. And I remember one time I, I was doing some, I think some string arrangements uh, for Trey, and I was up in their office. This was well after they were very famous. I mean, they were, they were selling out Mountain Square Garden multiple nights. And I'm sitting there with him and we're discussing what we're going to do with this music. And his manager comes in with this big box. And this box is thousands of cards. 
thousands. As as we're sitting there, Trey is signing these cards. I'm like, Trey, what are you doing? He said, oh, these are birthday cards for our fans. He, wow. he did not need to sit there and sign, I don't know, God knows how many, thousand, two thousand cards. Wow, yeah. He didn't have to do that. But he knows. He knows deeply the value of paying attention to the people who are expressing interest in you. And he is so incredibly dedicated to that. And he has been his entire life because he feels so privileged to be able to play music, which it is. It's a huge privilege. And I think that... um Keeping that in mind is also very important. You know, uh, my buddy Jim Hall used to always tell me, Brian, music is the only reward. There's no other reward. It's just the music. It's not the money. The money's going to be spent. It's not the, you know, the travel or whatever it is. You, you think I have the only, you know, the only reward is the music. Being able to do this is such a privilege. And it's true. You know, so those two things combined, um, I have consistently seen, uh, the most successful artist, uh, either doing artist year or not, <laughs> but definitely right. doing artist year. You know, those those yeah, are the things that I've seen. There's two two um, two things to reference that come to mind when I hear you describing what Trey was doing, and, and even before that, describing from your perspective when artists pay attention to their fans, things take care of themselves. We. Mm-hmm. With the artists that I work with, we're always referencing the article A Thousand True Fans by Kevin Kelly. Have you ever read that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I see a similarity there. Mm-hmm. And his whole point is to um, really identify, also, if you can, A Thousand True Fans and what that would mean in terms of how they could support you. And I think the gist of it is actually kind of what you just said, paying attention to them and making sure that they understand that they are really valued. These are the people who really want to see the artists succeed. And the other thing that came to mind when I was listening to you um, is an older book. It's called Raving Fans. Uh, it's by a guy named Ken Blanchard. And it's it's kind of more of a general marketing book, I think, but it's directly applicable to what we're talking about, Raving mm-hmm. Fans. Have you ever read that? No, I haven't. I will, though. Yeah, it, it's, it's an older book, but it, it's got some really good concepts that relate to what we're talking about okay so so um so that makes total sense to me that the artist really needs to be cognizant of first of all who are the actual fans supporting them and how can they acknowledge those fans yeah Um, and and even i'm not even going to i'm going to even venture to say even if the fans aren't supporting them uh supporting them you know the it's a it's a it's, it's a long game it's like the stock market you don't get in the stock market to make a quick buck and get out. The way you do it is over a period of 20, 30 years. And some of the stocks that are, that are making money now, aren't making money now, will make money in the future. Same with fans. Um, if people are supporting you now, that's great. But if people aren't, and they still love what you do, and they're not supporting you, they're just as valuable. They're just as valuable, if not more valuable, because that's going to be your next set of fans coming up, or something's going to click with them. So being kind of, um, I think the word support is a little bit of a trigger. Um, I think that anybody who shows any interest in what you're doing, <laughs> whether it be financial, 
or just visiting your website or what, what however casual it is. Um, those are the people that are, that are the most important. And I, and the reason why I'm making that clarification is because I think supporting can be interpreted as contributing in some sort of way financially, which is not the case. I mean, it, it's, it's not about the money. It's about the relationship. It's always about the relationship. Fans of artists or, or bands, there's nothing more gratifying for them than to say to a friend, I saw this guy, this artist, um, this woman, whoever, when he or she was a mm-hmm. no-name in a club that had 50 people in it. <laughs> I got this BFF show, and now mm-hmm. we're here in this huge theater or arena or whatever. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cool? I mean, there's nothing... I can think of a few examples where I, could, I can actually say that it's amazing, and and I yeah. think that ties into what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And and take that. Okay, so now now we're really weaving into kind of the belly of the beast with artists here. Okay, what we want to be able to do is to say these people to say, hey, I knew these people when they did this, and this person made a recording for me and pressed it on a, uh, hand pressed it on a seven inch vinyl and I have it at home. It's just for me. Can you yeah, that's that? really cool. I, we, we do that for, 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 for people who come into these projects. We just did that right. for, for Disha Barber, uh, custom seven inch vinyl for this person. And, and she sets down the piano and says, Hey, Joe, this is for you. Now, can you imagine that? Right? Imagine that. That's that's the that's the world that we that's that's where we try to live is in that world. And how do you do that on a larger scale? We're always trying to find ways to create that feeling on a larger scale. One thing and, I was thinking about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and and you see how that's so far removed, like it, it, where the road splits between crowdfunding. In relationship marketing, absolutely, it's much more personal what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly, and that. So it seems strange when people say, you know, when people ask me, well, you know, what do you, you know, how, you know, artist shares crowdfunding. I was like, no, it isn't. <laughs> right, it doesn't do it. Crowdfunding is transactional. You know, we're relationship based marketing. So this is this is what I was thinking about the platform launched also way before social media was something, was a thing, mm-hmm. existed. Yep. What have you seen over the years, what effect have some of these platforms had for artists on Artist Share? Has it been a situation where they're able to use it to their advantage? Is it a mixed bag? What would you suggest to an artist who has an Artist Share project and has an active social media following? Right, right. Okay, so... It's kind of the same thing. Uh, the same. Let's take the same analogy of the road splitting between relationship marketing and crowdfunding. Um, you know, if you want to, you know, re- just raise money and not foster really a relationship and just have this bam, bam, thank you, ma'am type of thing, you can do a, a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, or you can go to AutoShare and you can do a relationship-based marketing, which is more focused on developing this relationship rather than raising this money. With social media, there's a there's a similar effect, and that is the illusion of numbers. Uh, people, when social media started, people were obsessed, and they still are, with number of views, number of likes, number of clicks, number of this. When 
it's they're very empty those numbers and they're very misleading um it it can really it can really create a false sense of reach uh so i think that with with those things it's it's very important i think for artists to play their cards close to their vest um i think that you need to no, you don't need to do anything, but my suggestion would be <laughs> that artists really, um, really, when using social media, it's a calculated loss. Right? Because when you're posting on social media, you are reaching out to people and you are some kind of creating a relationship with them, but you don't want to give too much. If, if there's too much given, then you're setting a precedent of everything I do is for free and everything I and that the number of views or clicks or likes are enough. Because more often than not, people build this and they build this and they build this and they say, aha, now I've got fifty thousand people, you know, on my Facebook, you know, Facebook followers. I'm gonna create a record, I'm gonna build a you know, start a record, I'm gonna sell my new record and they send it out there and they get nothing back. <clears throat> Because it's a completely different message that's being sent out on social media. You know, it's a completely different message. And it's also not as much of a reach as one might think. Um, the, so I'm, you know, my experience with that is that it can be, it can be good. Um, it can help to get a message out there, but the numbers are deceiving. Um, if you feel that you that twenty thousand you know followers is enough to be able to raise x amount of dollars, you might want to multiply that by five you know because chances are that twenty thousand is not going to be those twenty thousand quote unquote fans are not going to be even close to being as responsive as the people that that you have direct email contact with that's been just been my experience. I think it's hard for people to remember also that before social media, before the internet, as we know it, people were used to paying for things specifically related to the creative process. Mm-hmm. So, so one negative effect I think certainly then that um, a platform like YouTube has is that everybody is used to it being free. I'm used yep. to searching for footage of my favorite artist or band on YouTube and getting it and seeing it and being gratified. Mm-hmm. And so that maybe that's all good and fine if it's older footage, but but the fact that I can also access brand new footage from oh here's a here's a relevant example. Coachella just happened last weekend mm-hmm. and you know they purposely stream it live and that's great for me who I have not paid the exorbitant ticket price to go to Coachella <laughs> to see, you know, to have that experience. I might do it one day, but I can see it for free is my point. So, um, so how, how does that sort of affect the viability of an artist share project when I'm not used to having to pay for that creative, pro- that creative content? Mm-hmm. That's why it's a long game. Um, yeah. it's a, it's a long game. It, it, um, Okay, so for example, um, if if you're if if the artist somehow equates what they're presenting on Artist Share 
to what they're presenting on social media. Obviously, that's not going to work. People are going to say, oh, well, why should I pay for something that I can get for free? Okay, but the the thing that I've been saying for a long time, even when YouTube first started and everybody was jumping off the cliff saying, I've got to get up on YouTube, I've got to get up on YouTube. No, you don't. Um, you can use YouTube as a discovery method. You, you don't want to be not on YouTube. You want to have some stuff on YouTube, just enough, so when people go and search for you, they can find something. Right? Just one thing. Right? That's fine. One or two things. Totally fine. And then what, if that's all there is, they're going to be curious and they're going to want more. Right? So they're going to seek, seek you out. It's very easy to find somebody on the Internet. You just put in a name. You know, it's a search engine, and you can go directly to their website. That's that's a very clear way to, to get somebody. But if everything's up on YouTube, guess what? <laughs> they're not leaving YouTube. You know, and it's not that they're probably not leaving YouTube anyway. You know, YouTube is it's is designed. Everything about social media is designed to keep you on social media. There's nothing that's doing any artist any favors. There's nothing that makes right. oh we'll put an ad or we'll put a link. But no one does that because the purpose of going to these social media sites is to do it and spin it out until you're sick of it and then leave. You know, there's not really – so there is a discovery aspect of it that's very important. Uh, so let's let's say let's, – let's move over, over to Spotify now, something that's, uh, that's more of a potential revenue maker than, than YouTube, but still really in its early stages and really not, not – uh, do an artist any favors. The advice that I give to my artists, and because everybody says, I gotta be up on Spotify, I gotta be on Spotify. Yes, you have to be on Spotify. No doubt. Definitely. Because when I'm on the street with somebody and somebody says to me, or I say to somebody, have you checked this person out? This person opens their phone and goes, are they on Spotify? I have to be able to say yes. Because then they can go and listen to it. Oh, all of a sudden we've got that it's a discovery tool. It's an amazing discovery tool because everybody has it, right? right? But do you need to put everything up there? No. Do you need to put an entire record up there? No, you don't. You only need to put enough up there to get benefit from the discovery aspect of it. And from that point, everything should be pointed towards the, your fans, by the way. The music that, 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 they're, that you're putting up there as an artist is your music. And the people, if they like it, they're your fans. You should not be giving that away to anybody else, to any other platform. It should be going directly to you. And that's how we set things up on Artist Share. Um, the, if you want something from this artist, you need to go directly to that artist, period. <laughs> and there's plenty of discovery things out there. Uh, because, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, there's just no, it's just, it's not feasible. It's like somebody, you know, think you're, if you're a farmer and you, spend all this money, you know, growing a crop, and then you just, you know, you go to your farm stand and you just leave it, you know, and let people take it. You know, you can't, that's not, that's not gonna, that's not a viable business model. You can't spend money on something to give it away for free. You know, and you could say to the farmer, well, it's going to be good promotion because they're going to come back next year and maybe buy something from you. You know, no, <laughs> that's not the way it works, man. You know, it's not the way it works. So using these, uh, these things like YouTube and, and Spotify, I think they're excellent discovery tools, but they're not revenue models yet. They're, they're too early. 
They've got too much control. There, there's too much of a black box for it at this point in time. It's so interesting because it's it's almost it's impossible to say what the future of the whole quote scene <laughs> will look like in mm-hmm. in five or ten years. But one thing that I think is already becoming apparent that I've noticed as of late, as of like the last last ten years or so, is is the effect that all of these things are having on the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, their longevity as a as a as a relevant artist seems it seems to be dwindling. It seems mm-hmm. to me that there is so much emphasis on who is the next big artist uh-huh. and is that person playing all of the major festivals this summer? Yeah. And it's no surprise that 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 it's 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 kind of a new uh it's like a new artist it's no surprise that they are able that they're able to find that new artist each year. And but then the question is, and this is what I'm trying to relate to what you were saying as far as yeah. um, how is this supporting the the, art, uh, the artist? What, what what happens to that artist from four years ago that was everybody's favorite? Like what are they doing now? <laughs> right, and that you know, yeah, that all ties into this whole idea of take money and run. Take money and run. So obviously, at the level we're talking, I'm talking about now. There's a lot of money being made by these these superstar artists who become viral and are the headliner of the month, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm not discounting that, but I'm just. It's more from my perspective, you know, from a longevity question. What are they going to be doing in five or ten years? Or maybe I mean, maybe some of them don't even want to tour in five or ten years. But that was that. Um, paradigm that I'm trying to describe right now is so different, so fundamentally different than it was 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's so different. And it really is a result of all everything being instant and quick and Mm -hmm. um, transactional and what's the new thing and blah, 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 blah. And it, you know, so I, I, I'm very cognizant of that because obviously I work on the live side of the industry. Yeah. And I wonder Will this? I wonder, will the future even make any sense for touring? I mean, maybe it will, but if that's not what people want, what does that even look like then? Well, I mean, I think that you you made a really good point. Um, I think there's a big split, and I think the split is between music and entertainment. I think that there is, it's starting to splinter and it's starting to split off into two separate things. And I'm seeing, in, in the younger generation, a, a, a definite split there. I'm seeing unbelievably talented, just huge numbers of incredibly talented players, just in droves, <laughs> creating bands, doing things, do, doing things on their own, creating their own little touring scenes. And it's amazing to watch. There's just, I can't believe the level of musicianship that I'm seeing at kids in their teens these days. It's mind-boggling. Um, then I'm also seeing the bigger acts, which are mostly entertainment. You know, um, there's music to it, for sure. You know, there's, there's maybe, you know, a higher level of, of, of uh, musicianship bleeding into that, but the things that I see are the like the short transact. There's and you said another thing, transactional. It's a very important word, I think, because a lot of these acts that are here, they're three years later, you're like, where's the next one? These are the transactional acts. They're they're not 
actually creating relationships with fans. They're not becoming a lifestyle. They're, they're a, here's what's happening right now. This is kind of cool and trendy and then falling off the map. Very similar to top 40 hits in, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, just, you know, one hit wonders, whatever you want to call them. Where that was kind of really mixed in because some bands that have a hit and whatnot, but now it's really splintering into two completely almost different industries. <laughs> and it, it doesn't really depend on touring. That depends on video. It depends on, uh, you know, merchandising, all, all that type of thing. And I view that as entertainment. Um, I don't, and I don't want to single anybody out because I don't want, I don't really, you know, know how to really express this other than the fact that there's a group of people, artists that are working towards, working for the music that are working to, because they have a need to better themselves musically, and this is what they have to do. And then there's a group of people who are maybe very talented musicians, but who are chasing that dollar, who want to be stars, who want to be these entertainers. And I think it's two completely separate paths. You're going to see, I think, in 10 years, um, it's almost going to be like two separate industries. One is going to be the people that you love and you've loved and you've grown up and you've spent years listening to and, and, and going to hear them. And then there's going to be a series of, of entertainment, you know, icons that have that come and go. I think that those are, if it's making any sense, I mean, it's, I think that's going to be a, a split. I think there's going to be, a, there's, a, there's a crossroads happening now with that. And I think that the, the live music industry is going to be, is going to survive that. I, there's just no question in my mind. It's not a matter of, you know, live music going away. It's never going to go away. Live music is like food and water. You know, when people experience live music, it's life changing, you know, for them. You know, it's, it's being in the same room where live music is happening is, is, is extremely organic and that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think one thing that has me thinking about it as to maybe why it's we're seeing that split, as you called it, is because what, I, I think we're living in a time, especially in the U.S. or probably abroad too, Europe for sure, where there is there are so many festivals, not just in the summer anymore, but year-round. So if you are that artist who has broken through and become – viral and it's taken you six months to a massive, massive um, following, you can make a lot of money <laughs> if you're the headliner for those festivals mm-hmm. in a year mm-hmm. and sort of bypass the traditional playing each major market slowly over the years, building a fan base, playing secondary markets. You can... that that model doesn't even really apply if, if that's the route you want to go. And there's mm-hmm. lots of, I think that's where, when you talk about a split, I, I can, I can see, I can in my mind name those artists where I see there's a split where there's the, mm-hmm. just as you were saying, there's fantastic instrumentalists and singers who are really trying to make good music. And that is the focus of their craft. And then there's the, then there's the, um you know, the show and it, well, show's not the right word, but, entertainers or whatever you want to call it who know that if they can if they can crank out those hits they can 
really make a good living playing those festivals. I don't think I don't think there's any coincidence that we're seeing more festivals with the rise of everything social media. I think there's a direct link between that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, the 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 more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> it's kind of always been that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so we're back. We're in a full circle here. <laughs> yeah. Well, to bring it back to Artist Share, so oh, yeah. Um, can, does Artist Share support other types of artist projects? Meaning, not just um, not just a recording, but an artist wants to do another type of project. Does does the platform support something like that? Oh, absolutely. And as a matter what of fact, are some examples of that? Well, we, we we encourage people to do that all the time. Uh, people do uh, commissions uh, to write new pieces. We've had books, we've had films, we've had to- we've had tours. Um, basically, you know anything uh, that that follows a creative process is fair game for artists here. I think that uh, slowly artists or educational stuff big that's a you know, that's another big thing that can be that can be uh, done through artistry. Anything that has a creative process to it, anything that has a storyline to it, is fair game. I think people are still, I don't want to say stuck, because it's it's not, they're not stuck, but people are still, the first thing that comes to their mind is, I need to make a record. It's always like the first, what's the next record, the next record. And that's not really going away, you know, which is, which is beautiful. That's also a nice thing, too. I mean, that's, that's oh, that's all great, but I think that there's a lot more. Once an artist starts viewing their career as a series of relationships, uh, a series of direct relationships with fans, uh, it frees them up to do all sorts of other things uh, besides just putting out the proverbial you know record every year, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to highlight the fact that you can do other things with the platform, and um, especially the artists that seem to gravitate towards the platform have so much, so much to offer. The whole, yeah, the whole um, educational aspect of it, where they, you could do a workshop with an artist or whatever. I think it's a great way to think about things. And not just what's the next album, but it's really what else can I do to connect with my fans. And that's and if, for people listening. If they take anything away from this conversation, I hope that that's what they get is, as yeah. you call it, um, uh, relationship management or whatever you were saying. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. relationship marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that artist share really affords people the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, art share isn't the only way to do it. I mean, there's many ways. To do it, um, I I personally, you know, spend the majority of my time focusing on relationship marketing and, and coming up with new ways and helping people to incorporate that, uh, teaching the principles. Of it. We, we're partnered with a few schools now too. We have a we have a partnership with Eastman College of Music, I'm teaching a course there on, on marketing. Um, also with University of Miami, we just started doing. Uh, Putting out records for the for the Frost Concert Jazz Band, and I'm working with students there, um, you know, just independently who are kind of helping with these projects. So there's um yeah there's there's a lot of different uh, 
there's, there's so many different aspects of this new industry. It's as discouraging as it can look. I mean, if you, I think if you're looking at it from a, uh, from a point of view of, I wish it were like the old days, it's going to be a little depressing. But I think if you look at it, <laughs> right. I think if you look at it like, wow, this just opened everything way up. It, it gets very exciting. It's very exciting what's happening right now. I think it is. You know, it's, I've been doing, I've been doing artistry now, you know, last since two, almost eight, 18 years, 18, 19 years. And, uh, well, congratulations, I'm still excited about first it. Of all. <laughs> I'm still excited. You know, that's great to hear. Yeah, that that is so awesome. I mean, yeah, you're going on 20 years. Yeah. What are we've covered a lot here, and I think we might need to wrap up. But what are what are some of your goals as you look to the future and as the platform continues to grow and evolve? Uh, well, my personal goals. You know, my personal goals are I just want to continue working with great artists because I've been so incredibly lucky to have done what I've done and work with the people I've worked with. Um, I take, you know, I really can't take any credit uh, because I had such great people to work with. This was, you know, very inspiring. Um, I'm doing a lot of consulting these days as well. Uh, for Artist Share, um, we're, we're still moving forward. We're, I can't say exactly in what way, but we're moving into different genres. We're moving into different areas. Uh, we're partnering with some, with some other co- companies right now in order to expand and basically continue this, this, uh, you know, spreading this philosophy of relationship marketing um, over transactional um, in order to really take control, you know, for artists to take control of their careers. It's, uh, I, again, it's, it, Feels like it still feels like we're just getting started, you know. Uh, even after all this time, that's so cool. Well, this might be a good stopping point for now, but you've got me thinking about a lot of other things. So maybe we can do a, a episode two of this discussion in the future, if that sounds good. Of course, yeah, anytime, <laughs> anytime. Awesome. So everybody listening, if you haven't already, definitely check out artistshare.com. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. This has truly been great. Oh, my pleasure. It was it was great talking to you, Mike. I appreciate it. We'll be in touch. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye.